first in Judges, and just the first part of this word, uh, verse in uh, Judges 3, starting, uh, that is to say, in uh, verse 15, and we read, Again the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer. Ehud, a left-handed man, the son of Gera, the Benjamite. And then over into book of Acts, in chapter 15, starting at verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord just to see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he deserted them in Pamphylia and was not continued and did not continue with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement then that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He then went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. May God bless his word to our hearts. Amen. morning, everyone. Did you know there are no left-handed people in Korea? It's not really true. But compared to the rest of the world, it's true. There's about 1 in 10 people who are left-handed in the world, so that's about 10%. But in Korea, the numbers drop down much lower to about 5%, and only about 1% of Koreans write with their left hand. Why is this? Left-handedness in Korea was considered wrong, maybe a defect or an abnormality. I can kind of understand it in the communal culture that you don't want to stand out, right? And just be part of the group. You should conform to the group. I know this to be true because my younger brother is left-handed, and when he was growing up, he was taught or forced to write with his right hand. So he eats with his right hand, Rice with his right hand, didn't really start playing sports until he came to Canada, so everything sport-related, he does left. Very interesting. It's interesting that the right or left of, and the rightness of it is even in our language. In Korean, the word for left is we, and that character is used to describe things that are off or wrong. And the character for right, that is o is used for when things are correct or in the right. It's not just in the Korean language, though, but also part of our English language as well. When we say things, something is correct, we say, that's right. We don't say that's left. That's weird, right, to call something left. Left-handed compliment, 
which actually means uh, not good. It's not a compliment, right? We say, you know, the word sinister. Do you know the word sinister? Comes from the Latin word meaning left. Uh, I wonder if that's why we say leftovers, <laughs> right? Why is it not rightovers, right? It's, we, we say leftovers because it's something unwanted. It's a waste, right? Gauche in French literally means left is used in English as socially awkward. If you're gauche, you're a little awkward. Other international synonyms for left include in Sanskrit, uh, left means wicked. And in Chinese, it says it means wrong. Is that right? Left means wrong? I don't know. And in Hebrew, left side, mean, uh, which is Shimon, comes from Samel, the angel of death, and prince of demons, who, according to the Talmud, sits on God's left. Yet this negative connotation of the left side isn't that there's anything wrong with left-handedness as much as the tendency for humans who live into what is, dom what is the dominant narrative, or in this case, hand that shapes our language and what we consider to be normal. So we enter into this story about Ehud, the left-handed assassin who is, by the way, a Benjamite. The name Benjamin means the son of my right hand. So we see Ehud, a lefty who is from the tribe of the son of my right hand, being useful with his left hand. He is able to go and kill King Eglon as he is able to hide his sword on the right side when people would assume the sword would be on his left side as you know, most people were right hand dominant. And so he is able to go and accomplish this task of stabbing King Eglon who is so obese that the sword melts into his body, right? Very interesting story. And, and on a side note, I want you to know that the book of Judges is not a book to speak about how God uses violence for good, but rather how it's a warning of how bad it gets when people uh, don't follow God and choose to think what is right in their own eyes. So just that's a side note. It's not an example of what to do, but rather what not to do. Uh, we're in a sermon series called Shaped, where we're, we have been exploring how God has uniquely made us so that we can serve God and serve others. We looked at S as spiritual gifts, H as our hearts and desire, A as part of our abilities, and today we're looking at P as personalities. So what does left-handedness of Ehud have to do with personalities? Not much. I just thought it was kind of funny and fun to kind of use it. But really, there is something similar in that our personalities are very similar to our handedness in that neither is right or wrong or left or wrong, right? You're not better or worse because you're right-handed or left-handed, just as much as there's no right or wrong for being an extrovert or an introvert. Our personalities, that is how we interact with others and the world around us, is how God has uniquely shaped each of us and made us to be. 
Yes, some of our personalities have come to us as a defense mechanism of our upbringing and maybe past trauma, but there are many parts of who we are, that is, when we are feeling safe and secure, that are a blessing from God and therefore has the potential to be a blessing to those around us. In Psalm 139, we see the psalmist praise God for how God has made him. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. I have a very addictive personality. When I get into something, I go all in. For example, recently I got into mountain biking, and you know, there's a whole world out there of mountain biking. It's not just a bike with shocks, right? And then once you get the bike, you learn about all the components and how each one works and how some of these don't com aren't compatible with the others. It's, there's so much to learn. You spend hours reading and learning about this thing. And so that's what I did. I was consuming my, my free time, learning about all these different bike parts and what I could upgrade on my bike, so on and so forth. And... You know, in some sense, getting into biking is not a bad thing, right? It's, it's good exercise. I'm in nature. You could also spend a lot of money, so that's not a good thing, right? However, one of the things that I have come to, to grips with of how I am wired is that I can be addicted to things that are not good for me. Whether it was smoking when I was younger and whether it's paying attention, attention to controlling my alcohol consumption, I have to be careful and wish at times that I wasn't wired this way. The positive side of being addictive, or is, is you could use the word passionate, right? I'm passionate about things. And, folk, and when it's focused on things that are good for me, that are life-giving, I can love hard and go all out in loving someone, right? Or, or being very focused on the thing that I, I, I love or the person I love. But there's also a shadow side of this, which is I can be obsessive and compulsive and it's all-encompassing where I don't see anything else but this thing that I am so into and nothing else matters. Yet I had to get, a get into a place of being comfortable of and embracing how I'm made. This is who I am and I need to embrace the reality that there is nothing wrong with who I am and my personality, but rather that it is a, it's a blessing from God. I have to be able to get to a place where of acceptance and trust that I am made to be wonderful and good. I have to get to a place where I can say with the psalmist, I praise you God because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And this is the first point I want to make for us this morning. Every one of you in this room and online are fearfully and wonderfully made. Can you embrace that truth for yourself? Can you say that out loud to yourself in the mirror, looking at yourself, knowing all about who you are and your personality and your quirks and features of who you are, and say, I am fearfully and wonderfully made? One of the most well-known personality tests is the Myers-Briggs test. I still remember studying in my university years at Tyndale, and they made you take it. And, and uh, it's, it's, 
is a famous one uh, I'm sure many of you heard of, and it is based off Carl, Carl Jung's understanding of personality traits or, and types. And, and it's based on the idea that we all have a preferred way of being and acting and interacting with the world and with others. I, I just did it recently again because I don't remember what I was, and I'm currently uh, ENFP A, which means that I'm extroverted, intuitive, feeling, prospecting, and assertive. Honestly, I never really liked personal, personality assessments because I felt like it was putting me in a box. Like, I don't go around saying I'm an ENFPA dash. And FP-A, nor do I live my life thinking that's who I am, or that I am an Enneagram 8 with a wing 7. For those of you that don't know about Enneagrams, it's this ancient tool that's popular now of, of self-assessment, self which I think is very helpful, but that's what I am. And so if you're an Enneagram 8, you don't like to be told what to do, because you want to be in control. And so... A personality test for me is trying to tell me what to do. So I say it's all hogwash, right? Yeah. But yes, as I have gotten older, as I have understood the importance of knowing how to interact with others, I learned that it, that is important, and that's how I can better love God and love others. Self-awareness is an important part of spiritual formation, and it is through knowing ourselves and our personality that we can better love God, others, and the world. One of my favorite characters in the Bible is Barnabas. And I love Barnabas because his name, or he was known as the brother of encouragement. Like to be considered the brother of encouragement, that, that became your nickname, was that he was a man who just encouraged people like crazy. I love that. I, I love that character trait of him. And hence, I named my, younger, my oldest son, Taylor. His middle name is Barnabas. So when I read the story about Barnabas and Paul fighting, you know, I naturally side with Barnabas over Paul. Although the book of Acts never blames one or the other about this fight. And we see in the book of Acts an example of this clash of personalities. Paul is fiery, passionate, and willing to die for Jesus. We know he was a well-educated, an entrepreneur, and a risk-taker. So we can see why Paul and Barnabas would have a disagreement over the person of John Mark. John Mark was a cousin of Barnabas, by the way, and had traveled with Paul before. Yet when Mark and Paul was faced with persecution and hardship, Mark bailed and went back home. So when Paul and Barnabas are deciding on planning on this new trip, Paul vehemently says no to taking Mark with him. And Barnabas disagrees. Acts 15, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. The Greek word for sharp disagreement is parax. Paraxiamos, paraximos, which when used in a medical context means convulsion or high fever. Have you ever gotten so angry that you're like convulsing or had such like just heated, like you're burning with, with anger? Yeah. This can happen in a marriage, I find, uh, pretty common. 
And this fight between the two was so heated that they were convulsing. It wasn't just a difference of opinion, you know, let's agree to disagree, but rather a full-blown fight, full-blown fight, where Paul and Barnabas went separate ways. They just didn't go separate ways. Like, Barnabas decided, I'm going to get on a boat and go to an island. Paul decided, I'm going on land and going in a, a totally different direction. So it wasn't even a different mode of transportation. It was a different direction. And they took different people with them. So Barnabas obviously took uh, Mark. And Paul took Silas with him. Maybe Paul was saying, you're going to take Barnabas? Here's someone you should be taking. Someone like Silas. Okay, now I'm, I'm projecting and I'm giving my personal feel about who I thought was in the right or wrong in Barnabas and Paul again. But Acts doesn't do that. There is no, no judgment of who was in the right or wrong. And fighting in the Bible is nothing new. Sometimes we like to romanticize and idealize the early church as if they were the way of being and they were so perfect and we need to be like them. But in reality, they were just regular people, just like you and I, with different personalities, passions, and gifts, which leads to disagreements and fights. Many of Paul's letters to the churches were written as a response to these fights and divisions that were happening in the church. And so Paul writes in Ephesians to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And this is the reality of any relationship that is more than just a surface-level friendship. Once you get beyond that surface level, there will be fights and disagreements. Proverbs 27, 17 says that, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. I've heard this passage used multitude of times before, but never really thought through how true it is. None of our personalities and who we are stay stagnant, but are influenced by those around us. When I was in university uh, and at my church, I was very close friends with uh, this person at our church who was uh, also in ministry. He, was, he had a position at the church. He was good at sports, charismatic, could play the guitar, had a nice car, you know, was in ministry, and, and we were friends. And so, like, we would just draw people to ourselves when we hung out because we had so much fun together. But it got to a point where he was rubbing off on me, and in not a positive sense, because there was a part of his personality that also liked to make fun of, put down people, and, and I started noticing that I was doing the same thing. I would start making fun of people that, the way I didn't want to. I remember, I love Barnabas, and I was putting down people just to, what, get a laugh or to feel good about myself. And so I decided that I needed to spend less time with this guy. Um, and it was um, through a lot of circumstances, not just that. I, I just felt like him and I can't stay friends anymore because he was having such a negative influence on me. Now, looking back, if I was more mature... I would have been able to uh, confront him and talk to him and, and try to encourage him. Hey, you know, this isn't how you should be. This isn't good, a good way to just behave, right? But I didn't. In this instance, we weren't sharpening each other. I wasn't making him better. He wasn't making me better. 
And the reality is that iron sharpening iron causes sparks and can also be very abrasive and painful. And if you can find someone in your life who can speak into you and and shape you and mold you in a positive way, that's a gift. You need to hold on to that. You need to cultivate that. And possibly you could be that person to someone else as well. Speaking about getting heated, like me and my wife can fight. And there's no person in in this world I love more and can be angry with than than my wife. Yet, she is the one that has sharpened me the most. Right? Like, I wouldn't be who I am if it wasn't for her. And hopefully vice versa. Every one of us is uniquely made by God with with our own strengths and weaknesses, gifts and personalities and quirks Even our physical bodies are not the same. And I think that's important because we are holistic beings. Yet none of us are complete on our own. And even within our personality, there is always room for growth. We see this a little bit in the outcome of the story of Barnabas and Paul. Remember, Barnabas was known as the brother of encouragement. He was the one that took Paul in. Remember when Paul first became a Christian? People were scared that he was faking it. Maybe he was a spy trying to get in and kill more Christians. And you know who took him in? It was Barnabas. Barnabas says, no, let's take him in. I think his faith is real. Again, the book of Acts doesn't blame anyone. There's no one person right or wrong in this story. But later on in the writings of Paul, Paul seemed to have made up and had a different view of Mark. And considers Mark his son. He says, you know, Mark, my beloved son. And this Mark was, you would would know this Mark. This Mark is the writer of the book of Mark. He took the stories of Peter. He took the witness of Peter and wrote it down. What would have happened, though, if Barnabas hadn't given Mark a chance? Would Mark felt comfortable and confident enough to write the gospel of Mark? And one commentator makes a note that it seems like Barnabas's character of encourager had rub, rubbed off on Paul. Paul later in his life would not only appreciate Mark, but Paul would go on to be an encourager to Timothy and even to the church of Corinth, even though they failed multiple times. But the reality is many of us are pretty set in our ways. Our personalities are complex mixture of our upbringing, our coping mechanisms, and our natural dispositions. Yet we are not to just stay as we are. We are to appreciate others who are not like us. As we rub shoulders with others, perhaps we can sharpen each other. Each other. Like Just because I'm extroverted does not mean I don't need times of introversion. Just because someone else is introverted, that they can live their lives alone. We need both. Just because I'm a feeler doesn't mean I don't need to think. Just because I'm a thinker doesn't mean I don't need to feel. Ehud, who was left-handed, doesn't mean he doesn't need his right hand. We don't go around living our lives, even if we're right-hand dominant, left-hand dominant, saying, I don't need the other hand. 
We need both. A spiritual writer named Robert Mulholland writes that if we are left to ourselves, we will generally gravitate towards spiritual practices and activities that nurture our preferred pattern of doing and being. The problem with this is that it will not address the shadow side of our personalities, and he calls this one-sided spirituality. This past Monday, I was at a a pastor's retreat, and as part of this retreat, one of the things we were focusing on was the three lies of identity that Nawan talks about. I am what I have, I am what I do, I am what others say about me. And there were three spiritual practices that were related to each of that lie, and we were supposed to spend time with those practices. And so the one I focused on was, I am not what I do, because I'm a doer, right? And I usually wrap my identity around what I do. So I said, okay, I'm going to go and spend time uh, doing the spiritual activity based on that, which was stillness. And so there was this whole thing. So I, I read through it, went through it quickly, and, 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 and well, maybe not quickly. I try to take my time doing it, right? Like being reflective, trying to be still while doing this thing. And at the end of it, I'm like, oh, that was good. And I look at the time, I'm like, I got like an hour left. What am I going to do for an hour? So I'm like, you know what? I'm supposed to be still. So I try to just stay still. And I I lie down in my office because we were hosting. I was just lying down trying to be still. And this one quirk about me is that I have itchy fingers. So people who know me well is that like when I was growing up, I guess as a kid, I used to like pick pick my mom's fingers because my fingers would always be itchy. And that has never gone away. I'm, I'm a grown 45-year-old man, and I still need to, like, pick at my fingers, right? Because it just gets itchy. So just sitting there still, I'm like, oh, my finger's getting itchy. I got to pick at it. So I'm, like, picking up my fingers. I'm like, oh, I'm moving too much. I need to be still. So I'm trying to be still. And it was, I was, like, getting anxious just trying to sit still. Like, why can't I sit still? What's wrong with me? And so then I decided, well... Maybe I could Google how to stay still. <laughs> so, so I looked up how to be still, and, and it gave me all these different tactics. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, I could do that. I tried it. I tried it. And then it got me into looking into the Enneagram, right? Before this, I've never done the Enneagram, but I'm like, oh, Enneagram 8 says that, you know, I, that's, I can't stay still because I'm a doer and I'm, I want to control my body, all of these things. And so I, I like went through the whole Enneagram thing in the rest of my time. And at the end of it, I'm like, oh, you know what I did? I didn't sit still. <laughs> I just kept doing. And in some sense, that's a positive thing because at times when I'm in my natural state of my personality, doing is good. And even praying, like I could pray, hear God's voice. Move on, let's go, right? But what it doesn't address is my shadow side where I control my life and my body and my gut by doing. I want to control situations. I want to control outcomes by action. And just sharing, I was sharing this story with the pastors and then in the prayer time, I felt like God was saying, yeah, That's what you were doing. You're trying to control stillness. Instead of being still, you're trying to control stillness. Meaning I still have a long way to go. And and that's an area that I really need to lean into is how can I be still so that I can be um, 
more fully integrated. So I do want to encourage you, if you haven't spent time reflecting on who you are, these tools are just tools, though. They're not, they're not complete indicators. They're not boxes to label you and put you in things. But it's, it's, they're helpful tools to, to help you look more deeply into how you are wired. So I encourage you to check them out. Uh, the Enneagram is a good one and is popular these days. So, you know, you, you'll hear people talking about wings and numbers and stuff. Then that's what it is. Um, and I encourage you to do so not just on your own. Because these are self-assessments, meaning these are how you project what you think you're like. So it's always great to have others speak into it and maybe sharpen what you think you think you're like instead of what you are actually alike. There is nothing wrong with being a Southpaw. They have advantages in sports tend to be more creative and can be a better multitasker, so says the internet. Yes, as my brother and my daughter are both lefties, I know that things are more difficult for them. It's harder for them to write, to cut paper, or even to shake hands. It's hard to be a Southpaw in a right-handed world. As a righty and as someone who is part of the norm in that sense, it's hard for me to recognize the challenges that others who are different than me may have especially if, there are, if they are the minority. And this is true for how people experience and meet God. We need to realize that we tend to cater our church and our spirituality to what we ourselves find to be meaningful and what is more naturally bent to our personality. And this isn't bad per se, but can cause us to be disintegrated and to be one-sided, too dominant. And, and it also makes it hard for others who are not like us to experience God and to meet God. I'm sure none of us, if we were told, your preference is causing others to not meet God, that we wouldn't say, okay, then maybe we could sing some more hymns. You know? I love Greg's music, and, and I love the what a beautiful name it is, but can I give space when it's a hymn that I don't know or a song that I don't know, but it's like someone others, that's their jam, and that's how they're connecting with God. Can I be open to that for that person to meet with God? Our personalities play an important part in who we are and how we interact with the world. As we are made in the image of the triune God who is relational, we are called to be integrated, holistic beings that reflect the God who is three in one. God has formed us and continues to shape us what keeps you from embracing that truth you are fearfully and wonderfully made? I know it's so much easier for me to look in the mirror and be unhappy with what I see. It's so much easier to see the characteristics and personalities that others have, and I wish I was more like them. But I have to be reminded that God has made me the way I am, and that that is a gift. I have to trust that what God says about me is true and is even more true than what I say about myself or what others say about who I am. How can you trust in God's love and what he has to say about you? Yet we know we aren't perfect 
and that there are parts of ourselves that, that is our shadow side, the areas of our personality that are broken. You know, to me, stubbornness is one of my other uh, um, shadow side of brokenness. The positive side of stubbornness is tenacity, right? Resilience. So again, it can have a light side and a dark side. Yet we need to embrace and be willing to say that we do have areas we need help in. It's okay to be weak. It's okay, it's okay to be broken. It's an opportunity for us to reach out to God for help where God can enter and, and heal us of our brokenness? How can we embrace the parts of ourselves that, that we may be ashamed of or unhappy about and turn that over to God? How can your dissatisfaction become an opportunity to give space for God and for others to sharpen you? Secondly, who are the people in your life that you need to sharpen and to be sharpened by? How can you rub shoulders with those around you who are different than you as an opportunity to build them up? One of the areas that we've been focusing on is belonging. And belonging cannot happen without proximity and frequency. Belonging cannot happen without us being close enough to rub shoulders with so that we can actually get to know each other. And we need frequency. If I see you once a week, we could just stay nice in the surface level, share our niceties, and we could almost ignore each other's annoyances and things about that person because we only see them once a week. I don't need to deal with that. I could just say hi, how's the weather, I'll go talk to somebody else. Right? But so we want to encourage you because we want to become a place of belonging where we, we go deeper into being brothers and sisters of Christ. This is why we want you to get involved show up and make room in your calendars. It doesn't mean that you should not have space for other things, but if we don't hang out together, if we don't do that regularly enough, we're not going to belong. Lastly, in talking about who we are, it would be remiss for me to not mention that we are not our personalities. Yes, they shape us. Yes, they are part of who we are, but we are much more than our gifts our personalities, our passions, our weaknesses. These things shape us, but they're not core of who we are. We are God's beloved children. That is the core of who we are. Let us not forget that, that reality and live into our personalities knowing we are the beloved children of God. Let's pray. Father, it's so hard at times to not look at what we don't have, to look at where we aren't good at, what we keep saying, what's wrong with me? And hard, it's hard for us to trust that what you say about it is true, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And Jesus, we ask that if we can't say that and claim that for ourselves, that you would help us to go deeper into knowing what is causing us or what is keeping us from believing that truth.
And we thank you for extroverts and introverts, feelers and thinkers, eights and twos and threes and left-handers and right-handers. We thank you for the variety and diversity and the spices of life. And Lord, we pray that you would teach us to lean into not just our preferences, but even areas that we feel may be hard. May we surround ourselves with people that are like us, are different than us, all of the above, so that we could be more integrated people of God who can serve you, serve others, and serve the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.